welcome to series four, episode two of York Hospital Ball. This week's guest is Ian Dunn, player who grew up on the terraces at Booth and Crescent before fulfilling a lifelong dream of playing and scoring for his boyhood club. In this interview, Ian talks about what it was like playing for York City, his successful career at Huddersfield Town, and how he became involved with broadcasting York City games with BBC Radio York. These podcasts are a spin-off from York Hospital Radio who rely on donations and sponsorship. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Hayley Owen, funeral director, who is proud to be different because every life is unique and so is every funeral. Hayley Owen's business is located on Boroughbridge Road and contact number for enquiries is 01904 792525. That's 01904 792525. If you enjoy these interviews, then please consider donating to justgiving.com forward slash York Hospital Radio. Justgiving.com forward slash York Hospital Radio. It really does make a huge difference to the charity. But for now, here is episode two, Ian Dunn. Ian, appreciate you joining us to talk about your career. But before we sort of get into the, the playing side of it, you, you grew up in York, didn't you? And I think I worked out that you were probably around 13 or 14 when York City had that sort of team of the decade with the likes of John Byrne, Keith Warwin, Gary Ford. So my first yeah. question was, you know, were they an inspiration to you growing up? Were you a York City fan? Oh, yeah, massively. I mean, I won't deny it. I was from a kid. My, my dad being Scottish, Kenny Alvish being his idol. I supported, you know, you always had a big team and, and your local team. So I was, I was a mad York City fan, but Liverpool were my sort of big team. But yeah, York City, we had a season ticket. I think my dad got me a season ticket when I was six, stroke seven. That's when I started to get interested in York City. And we had a season ticket to go to go all the matches. I saw all the, the re-elections they were called in them days where... I mean, basically, City were, were poor. So I saw that side of the thing, side of the football. All the while, my football was carrying on with the Cubs and what have you. And then I joined the Junior Reds. And there was a, there was a guy there called Colin Sanderson. I don't know if you remember him. Yeah, he was I do Colin, remember him, yeah. Yeah, he ran the Junior Reds. And uh, I mean, I just loved, I mean, you can imagine, everyone just wanted to play football every hour of the day. So Junior Reds was a brilliant way of, in them days, of getting to play a bit of football. He played in the little gym across it. Booth and Crescent and I think Colin took a shine to me I think he took a shine to me as, as a sort of 9, 10, 11, 12 year old because I was I, I think I was mascot when I was very young but I was really lucky that when Dennis Smith came yeah I will have been 13, 14 that year that, the, the year that they won the, the league and, uh, and Colin had me as a ball boy now the ball boys used to get rotated every week there used to be a different set of ball boys but for whatever reason and I, to this day I honestly don't know but he always had me as as um, the ball boy. So I'd, every game, I was ball boy behind Roger Jones, in front of the uh, longy stand. I, I stood there. I literally, that was my little perch. I, I, I stood behind the goal and collected the ball that all season. It was brilliant. So uh, yeah, so a bird's eye view of, yeah, I think Roger Jones might even know me because I've got this little squeaky voice, as you probably know, and I did have then as well. So I was always trying to put the opposition off. <laughs> so where was your uh, where was your season ticket then? Were you in the Shippo end for that? So no, we were in the, what was it called? Was it called the Terracing? But we had the, we had, my dad, my dad got us main, main stands, season tickets. So we, I was just really lucky. My dad loved football. And uh, yeah, initially, in my, my early days, we were, we were in, I used to, we used to stand almost behind where the dugouts are. 
So that was my first recollection. That's where we used to stand. And then we progressed to the main stand and we had season tickets up there. Weirdly, where the radio perch is now, that were, they, were, they were our season tickets. We were just in, just sort of to the side of them. So we had to, we always had really good views. Just lucky. I was really lucky. My dad loved his football. So we always, we, we didn't miss a game, any home games. Didn't go to many away games, I have to be honest, but every away game we were there. And, and who would have been your sort of favourite player growing up then? Was there anyone that you sort of aspired to be or were inspired by? Yeah, I lived in Woodthorpe. And um, I loved John. Do you remember John Woodward? I don't. I'm a little he, bit came, Yeah, he came from Arsenal. And I don't know how good he was, actually, but he was my... <laughs> my mum got on with his mum, so it's all these things marry up, don't they? So I kind of... I followed him. He didn't last that long, I don't think, at City. Uh, it was during the period, I think, where it, the thing started to decline. Then Peter Lorimer came. He came here, so I loved watching him. But I really got into it when Keith Walwyn joined. Then you had your Gary Fords and your John Burns. They were they were youngsters coming through that really excelled when when Dennis Smith took over. So I would say my yeah my main sort of inspirations, idols, whatever you, whatever you want to call them, would be John Byrne, Keith Walwyn, Gary Ford. I could name the whole team. There, uh, Ricky. Probably get into this down the line, but Ricky was very influential in in my career as a youngster. John McPhail, Alan Hay. It was uh, it was yeah, just a really good period for us. And you're obviously a really promising youngster. Where you? you played for your county sides and north of England, England schoolboys, etc. What what was that like? And was there anyone else from the sort of England schoolboys that you played in that, that eventually made it in the pro game? Yeah, I mean, I because I didn't go down the sort of usual route. I was an intermediate at City, so I played all the intermediate games on a Saturday morning, but I didn't do the YTS route. My dad sort of wanted me to go to college, so I ended up going to, to York College to study business studies or something straight after school, where all my mates were, like Gary Umsworth, Tootle, they were doing YTS, the YTS game. I went off to college, but I still trained with them twice a week, and I'd, I'd go and play on the intermediate on a, on a Saturday morning, and eventually I went to the reserves. But yeah, it was during that period, for me, it was, it was all about playing football. And I was really lucky in that while I was training at York, yes, I, I was at college. And because I was at college, I could play for the, the, the England. It was the north of England schools at first. And then we had trials at Lillishaw for the full England under-19 team. So that's how I ended up being lucky enough to play for that. So if I'd have, been a, if I'd have signed for York as a YTS, that would never have happened. It wasn't England's under-19s. It was England's under-19 schoolboys. So the difference now is, yeah. You'd have been signed on as a pro. You'd have been playing for the England, the actual England under-19s. This was schoolboys. But yeah, there's a few really good lads and we had some good tours. We went to Switzerland. We played a couple of games out there. We played against Holland twice when there's a few names played in, the, in that Holland team. There was Brian Roy, the DeBoers, the Twins. They both played. <laughs> Couldn't get near them because they were all, they were from professional clubs, you see. So they're, they're, we played their professional under-19s. We were schoolboys. We did okay. But we had, um, there was a couple of lads made it. Chris Greenman went to play for Coventry City when they were in the, what was the old first division. Paul Raven played at West Brom. There's no massive names. Ian Wardle played at Barnsley and I played at City. Because we were all, going back to think we were all schoolboys, not fully-fledged We'd gone down the school route rather than the YTS route. But yeah, it was a good, it was a decent team to be fair. And we had a, we were we were treated like international schoolboys. It was brilliant. We got the suits, the jack suits, the, the travel, the little trips to Lillishall, and it just all made it. Yeah, to be honest, it was a really good experience to go through as opposed to being a YTS player for two seasons. So yeah, it's good. I would imagine as well that if, if you're kind of playing for England schoolboys, like you say, that there would be quite a few clubs that would probably be sniffing around you. And I, know, I think from another interview, I, I saw that you said about Leeds United were possibly looking yeah. to, to try sign you. But how, how did how did signing for York City come about? Because it was Bobby Saxon, wasn't it, that actually signed you up? So yeah, then previous two years to playing for the England schoolboys, I played for the City Intermediates. And again, it might have just been a little bit of fortune, but Ricky Sprazier, he lived on Summerfield Road where I lived as a kid and obviously he was one of my idols as well and we didn't really know him but obviously he would 
it's weird. I'd be down on the green playing football and he came down and every now and again he'd be walking his daughters and he'd kick the ball back and we'd all go giddy, you know, as Ricky Sprazier. And he eventually, he put it together that I was this kid who played for us, a team called Woodthorpe Greens, then Dringhouses, York RI, and I was I was just scoring goals. And actually, do you remember Ricardo Gabardini? Yeah, Ricardo was my age and Ricardo's mum was, was very vocal. She, she really praised me to the hill to anyone that would listen because I used to play up front with Ricardo yeah she she praised me at City I think she must have said something they've put two and two together oh that's the kid blah de blah who's playing in intermediates and Ricky Sprazier I think pushed for me to get a full contract so Bobby Saxton at the time he, he was struggling with a team he didn't have a team really he was very unlucky as a York City manager to, to, to take over after a spell of success and there weren't, there weren't many players left but um, yeah he signed me on my first full contract unfortunately he didn't last long he, he'd gone within sort of two months of that season I believe that's when John Bird came in but yeah he came around it's, it's weird how things come around obviously I'd, I'd done enough played for the schoolboys England schoolboys and that had obviously highlighted everything but yeah before I signed for City Leeds United scouts were watching the England as they would they, they watched all the games and literally maybe two or three weeks before I signed my contract with York Leeds had made contact with my dad but we'd just about given our word and, and to be honest as a kid you don't you have your big club but club I wanted to play if I was York City I, you can't explain it that's, that's just one of them things so it wouldn't have mattered really and so we, we told them pretty much straight away that I've already committed to signing for York City blah de blah and, and they were fine about it and to be honest probably only were looking at me because of I played for the schoolboys I look back and I think I'd have got lost there it was the, the, the take on so many players and tell them this, that and the other. York City was it was my club and it was a, I felt it was a good chance to actually become a, a professional footballer as opposed to trying to even get near a reserve team. So uh, yeah, it all worked out well. So, so you made your debut, I think, away, uh, sorry, at home to Dallin and a fit 4-1 win. And I think you then came on sub as well at, at Grimsby in the next game. And your home debut against Doncaster couldn't have gone any better, could it? Because you, you scored on your home debut, yeah. which I guess after being a ball boy, like you mentioned before, yeah. it's been a dream come true to score at Booth and Crescent. I can't explain it. When, when I try and think back, it's, you know, it's one of the things, you, you, know, you, you know it happens, but you can't quite remember why or who are. You know, one of them magical moments that I, I didn't know I was even, I didn't even know I was playing until I think it was probably about four o'clock on the Tuesday afternoon I think it was a Tuesday night match wasn't it and and news had filtered through that Dale Banton had been had been sold to Walsall I think it was 80,000 he'd got he'd, a big move anyway and I think I had an inkling at about 4 o'clock I thought oh if, if he's not if he's gone what's the chances here and, and then I got a call from John Bird to go in and see him in his office and I knew I kind of knew then I kind of you know you have that feeling that this is good news and uh, yeah then he announced that listen listen son you're going to start tonight you've been doing brilliantly in the reserves you've been scoring goals go out and enjoy yourself and that was what a day what a night and I remember just going I did go home before I came back in for the game I told my dad and yeah he was my mum and dad were proud as punch and then to score I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah I mean that's I, even now you, you get goosebumps you, you score on your debut York City was just one of them surreal moments that I was lucky enough to, to achieve. Because when, when I interviewed Dean Kiley recently, he, he said that John Bird used to have a shot of whiskey for all the players going out on the pitch. Yeah. I wonder whether he did that to you because you, you'd have been, only been about 18, wouldn't you, at the time? Yeah, I was 18. I think we did. I think he's right. I, that's one of them things that, you know, the other lad, lads will remember different things about managers that, that you, you suddenly remind yourself. And yeah, he did do that. Yeah, it was, I don't know why, obviously, calm, I think it's to calm his nerves. <laughs> and I uh, thought he was calming ours down, but he was calming his own. I mean, <laughs> 
we scored in consecutive games in November, I think, against Crew and, and Stockport, and then again another three times. So, so 18 yeah. games, six goals, which I think is a pretty good return for an 18 year old. But do you think yeah. John Bird could have played you a bit more that, that season? Yeah, I, I've, I thought about this. You know, I knew at the time, I thought about it since. And you look at young lads who get into a team, and, and with that goal scoring record, you're, you're talking, you know, big clubs are coming in for them sorts of players. I, I remember at the time him saying that he felt I needed a rest. And, and I was thinking, I don't, need, I don't need a rest. I'm scoring goals. Okay, I might get tired in the sort of 78th minute, which I think would just be natural for a young lad. John Byrne used to get cramped. He used to come off after 70 minutes when he was a young lad, you know, and that's what I was thinking along the lines of, you just bring me off, don't leave me out. And it, I, I honestly think rather than me thinking he was helping me, it felt like, I look back, I think it felt like it knocked me a little bit. It knocked my confidence because I should have been playing. So it's as simple as that. I should have been playing. I, in my eyes, I, I was doing okay and there was no need to drop us, but the team weren't doing well. And I just wonder if he thought we need a bit more experience. But if you're scoring goals, you don't, you don't tend to leave them players out. But yeah, that's that happened. It was unfortunate. Yeah, I had to I had to bite the bullet of that. And it's weird. After that, he, he played me more on the wing than as a striker. Which yeah, maybe he just didn't see me as a goal scorer. I don't know. Probably as as my career progressed, you know, it turned out I played more on the wing than as a striker. So maybe he was right. That, you know, when you look back, maybe he was right. Maybe maybe he was onto something. However, at the time, I felt it knocked me. It knocked me a little bit. I wasn't the most confident person, footballer, anywhere. So to have that after after starting off really quite well, I think probably knocked me. The following season, you, you played even less, even though yeah. you were scoring goals when you when you played. Was it were you was it just because you were so young that you know you couldn't really go knock on his door and say, look, I need to be playing? But the, the, the team weren't doing so well either. Like like you mentioned there before, was it a, a difficult one for you to, to sort of weigh up in your head as to whether to you know, knock on his door and say, look, you know, I, I should be playing here, but you know, you're only you're only a young lad, aren't you? Well, that goes down to the, the back to the confidence thing. I wasn't that person. And I, I was watching lads going in, knocking on doors, asking why they're not playing. And I, I just didn't, I, initially I didn't do that. And then I remember Steve Spooner was the captain and I went to him. To be honest, I was, my confidence was low. I thought I was doing okay, but not getting picked. And he, he brought in Bob Colville and Ian Hellewell played up front. So he had two sort of biggish lads available to him. And I, I wondered if that was maybe why I wasn't playing. I wasn't sure. And then he had Tony Cannon was doing okay on the wing. So I did, eventually, Steve Spooner said, listen, you've got to go, because I was still scoring goals in the reserves as a striker and good, you know against good teams so Steve Spooner said listen you've got to go in and tell him that you want to be in a team show him, show him, your, show him your ambition I think he thought I needed to you know action speak louder than words sort of thing I should be picked on merit but I remember Steve Spooner and it was probably good advice go in and speak to the manager and I did it still didn't do me much good really I didn't I didn't really play many consistent games and, and the team was starting to mature a little bit sort of without me really John McCarthy came in and John what a player you knew straight away that he was a heck of a player and he was your right winger yeah, Tony Cannon on the left he preferred Heliwell up front and then of course Longy came in so straight away I'm looking around thinking I'm not really players here are probably you know J- John was outstanding Tony Cannon he was a legend and, and Longy came in from where did he sign from Peter or Halifax or something who was always going to get a really good go of a crack of the whip so yeah it was, a, it was just one of them weird situations for me at that time I just never really felt like a first team footballer I always felt as if I would get in if, so, if there was an injury or something You, you mentioned David Longest there and I was, I was going to come on to that because obviously the, the following season was, was the tragic season where David Longest passed away on the pitch and yeah. I know actually you came on the sub for him that day didn't you I mean what, what did you know I've, I've spoke to obviously every York City player I've interviewed that played that day has, a, has their own story about it but I wonder what it was like for you coming on for him did you, were you aware that you know what, what was going on and yeah. kind of warming up aren't you but I guess in that situation 
machine they've been asked to come on pretty quick and yeah it was just harrowing I mean me and Longy uh, and I, one of my best friends Simon we, we sort of helped Longy settle in my, my brother had Oscar's wine bar and you know in them days you'd, Saturday nights were, or after a reserve game you'd go into the bar and have a drink or two and Longy was sort of one of the lads he was a really nice guy really friendly person I got on really well with him me and him had signed up to a French course at York Tech genuinely that's a true story we signed up for, for a French course at York Tech me and him had gone in done the, the pre-course and it was all set we, we never sadly we never went to one lesson because then that happened but yeah I was warming up he went down I remember I remember seeing it and rightly or wrongly it looked like I thought I think me and whoever I was warming up with we saw him trip up but go backwards and this is genuine I think we both thought is he is he ever, he was a bit of a joker as long as he's a bit of a mm. you know he's doing something funny here and then phew, within minutes you knew something wasn't right doctors were getting were rushed on there it seemed an eternity I'll go back a little bit you know when someone does go down injured and you're warming up to be brutally honest as a football you're thinking yeah I can't wait I want to get on That's, this is this is you know sad for him hope so it's not too serious I felt terrible at half time the, uh, John Bird came in and he, he had a tear in his eye yeah it was just yeah we were all just stunned John Bird's words I think he's gone and I looked around at the older players and their heads went down so then you knew the gravity of what had, what was happening here it, it, it still wasn't sinking in and no one said a word it was everyone just to a man I think just broke it broke down it was it was tears you name it oh. that must have been really difficult for, for you as well and yeah these days you might might have you know there's more access to people you can speak to and, and, and things like that was that level of support there back then no and you're right and I'm not going to make an excuse for myself at York City but it was it was horrible as a young kid you know I wanted to come on for him I was literally coming into the team for someone that had, had the, the most tragic of accident, uh, incidents no it was it played on, on my head my heart he was a friend first and foremost yeah it probably did have an effect but and, and you're right there was nothing we had nothing we had the senior pros would go around and say come on come on get your head up blah de blah and we were told I think we had two weeks off and it was honestly our therapy was literally lads go out meet up I think the captain whoever it was at that time was it Reedy just said right lads we're meeting in Oscars Monday afternoon and we met every afternoon and just got drunk we just just had we just drank <laughs> and that's, that was our therapy so yeah you're right looking back it was all wrong how we dealt with it but we didn't have any there was no method of support there was no, nothing like that yeah it was a terrible time to be honest so I think you, you wore the number 10 shirt that he'd been wearing the next game yeah. away at Darlington how difficult was that because you wanting to you know, you must have been desperate to score for Longy, yeah. I guess, and, and, and have a bit of a tribute to him. How, how difficult was that for the, for the team and for you personally? See, I, I remember I nearly got booked. I never got booked. <laughs> and tensions were high. Yeah, it, everyone wanted to do well, but I think there was that, you were missing something in your stomach kind of thing. You wanted to do well. You're so desperate. Did we win that game? Did we draw? It was nil-nil. Yeah. I'm just having a look nil, now. Nil. Then they did play Doncaster the next home game. 1-3-1. That's right, yeah. It wasn't, it, nothing seemed to be the same after that, really. But for me, personally, and, and the manager had had me in and said, listen, tragic circumstances, but you know, you're going to come in for Longy. And what was I then, 18, 19, 20? Probably still a youngish, youngish outlook on life. And I wanted to do well. It was just gut-wrenching, to be honest. That, that was how I'd got a got back in the team and yeah it maybe felt number 10 shirt felt a little bit extra heavy on me to be honest looking back you know you're looking and think yeah it probably did I, I couldn't pinpoint it at the time but had an extra weight on my shoulders so sounds like I'm making it about me it, it isn't you know I've, I've been lucky to have had a decent life a decent career but looking back you think about it no support nothing like that it, yeah it's bound to have played on not just my shoulders but the whole teams at that time 
Do, do you think that that made it difficult for the team for the rest of that season? I know, I know it was another poor season on the pitch, but was it was it difficult to play with with all that what, what had gone on? Because it's such an unusual, you know, tragic circumstance. I mean, I know Fabrice Moamba had a similar thing, didn't he? Later on, you know, you, you're talking very isolated incidents in in the history of football. I won't gloss over it. We weren't a great team anyway. We were not. A, we could have been with a couple of additions, which happened. The year after I got released, really. We weren't far off. It will have affected some performances, as undoubtedly, as I explained, you felt a little bit heavier with the number 10 on. But we, we, we were a great team. We needed, we needed additions. And yeah, unfortunately for me, them additions came when I'd gone. And I always look back and feel a bit cheated with that, really. If I could have just held on for a year and, and John Ward had come in. Uh, you know, I've got a lot to thank John Bird for, for, for giving me my debut. But after that, he didn't give me much else, if that makes sense. And I, I always look back and think if I could have just hung on for John Ward, it might have been so different because he brought Barnes in, he brought John McCarthy on. Dean Kiley was already there. He was he was going to be good, Dino, anyway. He's a you know, top-class keeper. The nucleus of a, te- a decent team was was there. John Bird had signed decent players. There was something missing in the makeup, which John Ward came in and, you know, from an onlooker then, you could see he'd got the, he got the best out of the players he had and, and, and the players he signed made a big difference. Because you started the last game of the season, I think, at home to Torquay, I think lost 2-1. Did, did you look back on that game and think, oh, maybe if I'd have scored, I might, I might have not been released or what, what? Or did you know before then? Or? Because I, you know, Steve Spooner said go in and speak to him about getting a game and etc. He started to, John Birds did start to engage with me and in the January time, he had had me in and said, don't you worry, you're going to get a contract at the end of the season. I think he knew what I'd gone through a little bit with the longy thing and, and I was in and out and, and I was I was starting to get upset that I just wanted to play, I wanted to go given a chance. And he called me in as if to relax me and say, Listen, don't you worry, this you have no problem here, you're gonna get a contract. We'll sort it out at the end of the season. Being the naive lad that I I was at the time and you didn't have agents in them days, so you didn't have someone to stand up for you. So it was my dad and my dad went in and they said, Yeah, fine, brilliant, we'll sort it at the end of the season and we took it as gospel. The day where they call you in and, and yeah, it's, it's the it's the dreaded day where conducts are given and players are released. I didn't think I was going to get released. I got called in thinking, it was, what, what am I getting here? Is it going to be one year or two years? And that's the God's honest truth. I thought I was getting a contract because he told me I was. Um, so I was absolutely, can you imagine, devastation wasn't the word. I was devastated that day. He called me into the office and said, listen, things have changed. Uh, we think it'd be better for you and your career to move on he actually thought it'd be better for me to go and mature as a person elsewhere and I just thought what a cop out that's you mature me you you, you play me If you, you told me I was getting a contract because you know I'm young and I can get better but no he, he felt that I needed to spread my wings and, and go and play elsewhere which right now looking back although I was gutted he did that and, and I felt if I'd have been lucky enough to stay with John Ward when he became manager in hindsight I didn't do too badly you know I'd had a bit of a rocky spell after York but I was lucky enough to get picked up by Huddersfield later on in the, you know, in the day a couple of years down the line so looking back yeah I don't know what course I'd have taken I might have got promotion and been Paul Barnes's uh, strike partner I might not have got a game so yeah things happen for a reason and my course went one direction yeah because you, you had a little spell at Chesterfield didn't you that didn't quite work yeah. out. I think you mentioned before that you were homesick. And then I just wonder what it was like as a footballer. Sort of, you obviously went on trial to a lot of clubs like Blackpool, Peterborough, Scarborough. Yeah. And what's it like going on trial? Is it is there quite a lot of pressure there? Really hard. When when John Bird released me, he actually said, "Listen, I'm releasing you. You're going to get a club. This club's already asking about you. They want you." Which made me think, "Well, why are you getting rid of me?" <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so Villiers at Blackpool had asked about me. Chris McMenemy at Chesterfield had asked about me. Apparently, his dad. Had, had recommended I play get selected for England's under 21s when I was 18 so when I was 18 they'd obviously caught, I'd caught someone's eye in that period when I was scoring the goals nothing ever came of that by the way yeah so there was, there was Billy Air 
there was Chris McMenemy and there was the Scunthorpe manager, I can't remember his name. They were all wanting me. Basically, they'd asked John Bird if I could phone them, basically. And so John Bird said, listen, phone these guys up. They'll have you down and I guarantee one of them will want to sign you. So he sweetened the sort of gut-wrenching part of that. So eventually, I think that afternoon we went, it was York races, it was the lads end of season do. So I was in tears, but I had to go along and put on a, a brave face. But I did call Billy Air at Blackpool pretty much straight away. And they were playing in, in the playoffs at the time. And he, he said, listen, I want you to come across, come and see Blackpool, come and, they put me up in digs, come and train with the team, we're getting ready for, for the playoffs and we'll have a good look at you. So I remember literally on the, I think I got really on the Tuesday or Wednesday and on the Sunday night I was driving across to Blackpool up to a B&B training with, I trained with Blackpool that week uh, in the build up to their playoffs and he was really good to me Billy and something I regret is, is I kind of enjoyed it and Blackpool were good I think, I think they won promotion that year I think I'm not sure and he wanted to, he was going to give me a, a two year contract and for some reason Chris McMenemy also he phoned me Chris McMenemy phoned me and he told me about his dad he basically sweet talked to me he told me about his dad had rated me and you know England of the 21s probably made me sound and feel a bit better than, than I was and he had he had the gift of the gab and, and without even going to Chesterfield I, I agreed to join them so, and I had to phone Blackpool and say listen Chesterfield have offered me a contract I'm going to go and sign for them and Billy Air he was genuinely upset or annoyed or angry I think a mixture of all if you knew Billy Air he was, he was one of the kind of guys he didn't cross and he was very stern with me and said I'd made a mistake and we, we looked after you and yeah a little bit of regret there because I kind of liked Blackpool it was good but I just got my head turned with Chesterfield and Chris McMenemy mm-hmm. and so you might have had an agent these days that would get you to exactly. balance it up maybe yeah, uh, yeah. I guess that's what they do agents are so, some, some, some go too far but yeah in them days you could, I could maybe have done with someone do a bit of talking for me and, and maybe explain everything to me as well and how you do things and I did that wrong really I did that really wrong I should have I should have shown more respect to Billy and Blackpool but I was like I say I was young I was desperate just to get a contract and, and Chesterfield basically yeah he sweet taught me and, and the rest is, is a bad history actually that was a bad year <laughs> but the year after uh, it's Dale Banton signed you for Ghoul Town, didn't he? Was yeah. that a difficult decision to drop out of the non-league? Because I think you were born in Ghoul, weren't you? No, no, I was born in York, but it does say on everything that I'm born in, in Ghoul. I'm not. It, it, I was born in the county of Howdenshire, which basically is Fulford in, when, in the 1970s, at Fulford Hospital. And I, 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 on my birth certificate, it's the county of Howdenshire. Someone needs yeah, to I, change your Wikipedia page, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I am, I am a York born and bred lad. Yeah, it's uh, the, the Ghoul thing, nowhere near. So yeah, maybe I need to, I don't know if you, how you change wiki, but someone will. So yeah, Dale Banton, yeah, I got released by Chesterfield. I, I had a terrible season at Chesterfield, to be honest. I, again, just didn't settle. They released me. Again, I ended up going on trials to clubs. But all the while, Bano was saying, well, why do you come and play for me until you get yourself sorted out? Because he was confident I'd get a contract somewhere. He was saying, listen, we could use you and you use us. So you're not on the contracts. You just come and play. We'll give you a few bob to look after you. If you need to go trialing anywhere, do. But if you're available for us, we'll play you. And it worked really well because I did keep fit. And actually, I was training at Scarborough during the week. So I was essentially a full-time trained athlete playing in a... in in them days, the non-league was the non-league. You know, it was the lads... They weren't. The, they were good players, but they weren't the fittest at that level. So I was shining for goal. You know, it was almost, you know, scoring goals for fun again. And I was enjoying my football, but training full-time at Scarborough with the hope that someone would sign me. And I ended up... Oh, God, I, I think I... I had a child with Peterborough, played in the Anglo-Italian Cup for Peterborough, came on as a sub in that game. 
didn't do over well. But Peterborough was quite interesting. I think they were quite interested in me. So there was them, Scarborough. And then I played for Goal up at Emley. And uh, my dad worked for Nestle for Roundtrees. He was quite high up, actually, at Roundtrees. And he knew a guy called Jimmy Lawson. Now, Jimmy Lawson was um, an ex-Huddersfield Town superstar. He's, he's got a lot of goals. Mid-70s, I think it was. Very good footballer. And Jimmy had said, well, obviously my dad had been telling... Jimmy about me out of contract playing here playing there trialling here and I think just out of as out of courtesy to my dad he said well listen if I have a word with Huddersfield I'll get, him, get him to go down and train with them and, and have a look at him and nothing really came of it initially but he'd obviously said something to Huddersfield because when we played Emily for goal it was up at Emily and I was told that afternoon that by Jimmy Lawson told my dad that uh, a guy called George Mulhall was going to come to the game to watch me and so the nerves were going but I was confident and yeah I had one of them games where everything went right Emily were a good team at the time I think I scored two we beat them 3-1 three, three, or something at Emily totally unexpected result anyway the next morning I get a phone call do you want to come into Huddersfield and train with us? So I couldn't believe it. It was it was one of those situations. It was just surreal. And I'm like, when? Well, today. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was it. That was it. That's how I ended up going to Huddersfield. Yeah, the rest is history, as I say. Yeah, because when you got signed by Ian Ross, you've effectively ended up in the, in the league above York City, hadn't you, at the time? So you must have yeah. been sort of looking, well, this is quite ironic. You know, two years down the line, I've, I've gone ventured non-league football I mean I've actually leapfrogged York City it must have, must have been a strange experience and also I was thinking about looking at the squad that Huddersfield had at the time like so if you know you and Roberts Andy Boo were all you know very well known players from the 90s I mean yeah. was it quite daunting going into that dressing room did you have any lingering doubts from maybe your time at York City do you know I, and I don't know why I, I, I was fit I was really fit I trained with Scarborough Ray McHale was the manager there he liked me I think he was going to offer me a contract but Scarborough had a budget and he was hanging on you know, it was hanging on. I was, I was one week. I was a non-contracted player for them. The next, I wasn't. It was one of them situations, and they were actually doing really well themselves at the time. Scarborough had a really good team. They beat Arsenal. I was there that night. They beat Arsenal. Not in, not involved, but I was part of the club, if you like. Yeah. I, so I was fully fit. I felt sharp, and I was scoring goals, and I was, I was kind of happy. I was kind. I knew I was doing okay. But I went into Huddersfield. And to be honest, yeah, I looked around. I knew all these players. The previous year, they'd just missed out on winning the playoffs. But they were, they were struggling. They were a struggling side at the time. Even though all these players were good players, for some reason, things were going a bit haywire for them. So I've gone in there. And I think a mixture of things. But I was almost at the point where it didn't matter. I was out of contract. Probably this is my last sort of chance. But I didn't want to put that pressure on me. It was just going to have fun. And I went down the first morning. They'd just been beaten the previous day. So as happened in them days, the manager would be mad at the first team. And what he would do is they would have a, the next training session would be the reserves versus the first team to try and work out what his next first team would be. And I went down and, and they basically just said to me, where do you play? <laughs> I play, play up front. He says, right, you go up front for what was there, the reserve team at the time. Well, what he'd done is them first team players had performed so badly, he put them all in the, or he put a few of them in what was the training reserve team. So I found myself in a team with Phil Starbuck, Kieran O'Regan, who was brilliant on the ball, real passive, the kind of player I'd never played with. He was an international standard footballer. He could get the ball and if he, if he wanted to pass it to your feet, he would. It, it, it'd find its way there. You, you can't explain it. That's, that's why some players are better than others. Phil Starbuck, Ifeonora, Gary Barnett, they'd all been dropped from the first team into this practice reserve team game. So I was in with really good footballers it, 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 I was just lucky that I was in with these, these lads who were all good footballers and they had me up front anyway we, I played against what was the first team defence Peter Jackson was there Simon Charlton Graham Mitchell Simon Trevitt they were the first team and I was in the reserve team playing against them 
but with first-team players. I think I scored four. <laughs> in, in the practice match, the reserves beat the first-team 4-2 or something, and I scored all four. Well, Ian Ross had me... He didn't even know I was, to be honest. When I turned up for that morning's training session, he didn't actually know who I was. I, I, I was there on the behalf of the youth team manager had noticed me and he called me in and said and he asked me my story and I told like we've just had this conversation I told him and he said well I'll see you tomorrow then and, and that's how it works I'll see you tomorrow then we've got another game oh brilliant and then the week after they said listen we're going to sign you on, on a non-contract basis so you can play in our reserve team uh, in the central league and we were playing I think the first game was away at Blackpool ironically I didn't do, do too well but I was still scoring goals in training. And then that was the Monday night. And then on the Wednesday night, we played Middlesbrough. No, Bolton. We played Bolton. And Bolton had good players. You know, in, their, in them days, their first team was really good. The reserves were pretty good as well. And uh, yeah, I think I scored a hat-trick because our reserve team was really good. It was, it was just one of them things. It felt really nicely for me. I was playing with good footballers. And he took notice, thankfully. And I played a couple more reserve games. And yeah, it all happened. So it sounds like you benefited from playing with better players around you that, that could maybe pass it to your feet or, or something like that and balls you could run, run on to. I mean, what, what, when you did sign for Huddersfield, I mean, I guess it couldn't, it couldn't have gone any better for you, your debut against Bradford in the FA Cup. I mean, in front of 10,000 fans and you scored, scored a goal and I think, did you win a penalty as well? And um, I watched some of the highlights from that that I found on YouTube and it looked like you were sort of a man possessed in that game to sort of make sure you were going to be a Huddersfield hero right from day one. Yeah, it was unbelievable because, yeah, like I say, that week, the whole thing about signing for Huddersfield, I'd played a couple of reserve games and scored a few goals and then the manager had me in and there was a bit of a kerfuffle rate actually with Gould because Huddersfield unbeknownst to me they wanted to sign on a, a professional contract and I'm thinking yes brilliant I'll sign that no problem it's a no brainer but unbeknownst to me Gould had made it a little bit difficult for them because you had to give seven days notice in those days when you signed someone from a non-contract so even though I wasn't under contract it was a non-contract they couldn't have played me for seven days unless Gould released me and this is the bit about the bag and balls and three grand or whatever it was that I didn't realise how much Ian Ross wanted me to play against Brad Bradford on that Sunday. So the week before, my dad, everyone, they'd been speaking to Gould saying, you know, this isn't right. You know, you said you'd release him. And they said, we will release him, but we can't hold him after seven days. Well, the game would have been in within that seven-day window. So I wouldn't have been able to play at Bradford. So again, I was just lucky. Ian Ross, they came to some sort of agreement. I think it was, bag of balls as a joke. I think it was three, three or four grand or something, which paid for a kit or something and a friendly against Gould at the end of the season. So thankfully, they saw sense and they released me to be able to play against Bradford. But I still didn't, I didn't know until the morning of the Bradford game that I was going to be playing. I was told to be on the bus, meet at the ground at Huddersfield, be on the bus for, I think it was a mid, midday kickoff, be on the bus for like nine o'clock. I turned up and honestly, all the lads who had sort of got to know me looked aghast. They looked shocked. It was almost, what's he doing here? <laughs> I, was the little, I was the little kids from the training field. And then they all, it turned out, I found out after they all, thought it was, it was a no-brainer that they would sign me, but I don't think they expected to see me at, at Valley Parade that day. That sort of season as well that you started off at Huddersfield, I mean, that, that goal you got against Stoke I was watching as well last night. I think that was in, the, in your first season, wasn't it? I mean, it, that was an incredible yeah. goal. That must, that must be up there as one of your, your best in your career. I mean, you sort of levered it, didn't you, from the right-hand side and it got stuck, didn't it, in the actual stanchion? It was, I mean, the debut against Bradford, obviously the goal there, fans didn't even know who I was at that time. That got me off to a great start. But yeah, scored a few goals. I was, I was quite fortunate that season. I scored a few goals. But again, I, I found myself getting pushed to the wings. So there's obviously something there. But yeah, but that 
that's how the Stoke goal came around. Gary Barnett crossed the ball right across from one end of the pitch to the other. And I was literally inside the 18-yard box. And my first touch literally dropped it. It's like you see the proper players do. It's a really good first touch. Dropped it perfectly. And I've hit it as it's hit, touched the ground. And I knew players will take the, You know when it's going. It's, it's unstoppable. Stuck in the stanchion was just... I had to look round. Because I think Simon Chan said, he's, he's still stuck in the stanchion. He's stuck in the stanchion. I'm like, hey. I've looked round and all I saw was the ball boy coming and knocking it out. And again, I was just one of them moments I was, I was lucky enough to, to experience. Because you got a hat-trick as well, didn't you, against uh, Halifax in the what is now the Football League trophy and nine goals, I think, in all competitions. You, you must have had a real satisfaction, I was, I was thinking, from two years before being released. And, and you mentioned about confidence. You said you weren't quite a confident player, but... But then that goal against Stoke, you've just described there. I mean, it must have had you must have had a lot of confidence to even try that and attempt it in the first place. And you must have had a, a real sense of satisfaction at the end of that season. Yeah, I think that when when Ian Ross signed me, he, I mean, he couldn't have been more effusive in praise for me. He, he thought I was the next. They, they, he really rated me. He made me believe that he really rated me. So my confidence at Huddersfield was really good. I go back to it. Huddersfield had a lot of good players, but they were struggling as a team to get points on the board. That season was was a struggle. They were fighting relegation. But a guy called Mick Buxton came in, stiffened us up. He loved me as well, which was brilliant. And I just felt confident. And it's one of them things, confidence. You can't give someone confidence. Whatever a good manager does, he gives these players confidence. And you can't bag it up. You can't sell it. They've either got that ability to do it or not. And at Huddersfield, that's where I felt these people managed to get the best out of me. They knew how to get the best out of me. And yeah, I was confident all that season. Loved it. Played almost every game. Yeah, it was just, it was just one of them periods in my life again. I just enjoyed it thoroughly and then, and then the following season I, I mean you can tell me correct me if I'm wrong but might have even been your best ever season you know you scored at Highbury you played at Wembley in front of 47,000 people you, you got a double at Brentford on the last day again yeah. another good goal if you watch it on YouTube 28 games 13 goals I mean you must have really felt massive part of Huddersfield Town and, and almost sort of forgot you know that, that two year period between York City and, and Huddersfield yeah, I was literally living the, my best life. I, I don't mean that as a joke. It was everything was just going right. It was um, I was at the right club. It was, it, sometimes you find the right place for yourself, don't you? And, and I was lucky enough that Huddersfield took to me the fans. And this is why I say, I'm, you know, when I'm doing the radio and, and, and getting behind the team, you don't know the difference that makes to a footballer. When you know the fans are genuinely behind you, you know when you make a mistake, they're not going to groan. They're not going to, oh God, you know. Again, you can't explain what that gives to a footballer. At the very top level, cop goes on about it at Liverpool. The fans make the difference. They do. And they must never underestimate themselves because they they, the Huddersfield Town fans, I think, got an extra, you know, the manager knew how to get more out of me, but the fans did. They got more out of me. Probably more than my ability actually actually had ability. They got a little bit of something else extra out of me just purely by being supportive. Um, and I'll be forever thankful that, for that because... That helped me throughout my whole time at Huddersfield. And of course, as well, you you had your own chant as well, didn't you? At Huddersfield Town fans <laughs> sang for you. When did that come about, and uh, and well, how did that make you feel every time that they sang it? I mean, not all footballers have a chant, do they? No, it's kind of it's funny, isn't it? I mean, I was I always follically I was follically challenged from the age of sixteen. Really, it was when I was one of them But it never really affected. It. I was never going to be a model in my life anyway, so it never really affected me, to be honest. And the fact they made fun of it made it even easier to accept because it was a loving sort of chant about something I was lacking. It was, you know what I mean? So it worked. At and least it, it wasn't football it, ability that you were lacking, I guess. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it was just, I think, pretty much straight away, that was the chant. It was, I don't think they knew who I was at Bradford, at Valley Parade. And I think someone probably said, my God, he's got nowhere. <laughs> 
And then, you know, that's how it happens, isn't it? Oh, we don't care. And yeah, that season, it was brilliant. Because whenever I played, that, that song would come on. And that just raised me again. And throughout my career at Huddersfield, that was the song. It was brilliant. Even when I was under Neil Warnock as sub, I think he should, he should tell me to go and warm up to get the fans warmed up. Because then they'd start singing the song just because it was it was a song they could sing. It was brilliant. Be forever grateful for it. And it just tells a little bit about game at Highbury as well. Because I know you were five 0 down, weren't you, Huddersfield, from the yeah. first leg? So obviously that the tie as, as, as such had gone. But you scored a goal, didn't you, at Highbury, which must be a good memory. And I think it was uh, back then Arsenal never used to concede a goal to anyone, did they? With that back yeah. four. But Steve yeah. Bold, bit of an uncharacteristic error, and, and you capitalised on it. Yeah, I mean it was still a good Arsenal team, but they'd absolutely walloped us at Huddersfield. I mean Ian Wright got a hat trick. I mean he was unbelievable. You know, when you think at these players, when you see them up close, you realise the difference in standard. Unbelievable, Merson. And they still had a good team out at Highbury. But yeah, you're right. At final up, they probably thought it was done and dusted. Well, it was done and dusted. But yeah, they still put a good defence out. And yeah, Steve Bold, I think I was up front or to the left. So I was up against Lee Dixon all night. He's a good player, by the way. Crikey. When you, when you play against them, you realise how good they are. But yeah, Steve Bold made a, a slip up, really. Did he try and head it or try and kick it? It, it fell short. And I've sneaked in and Seaman was approaching me. And I didn't lob him. I put it through his legs. So uh, <laughs> it was, again, just one of those moments. And I got a man of the match. I got a, a Coca-Cola watch and a, and a Coca-Cola jacket that has never seen the light of day, to be honest. But yeah, the watch was nice. You know, I was just thinking as well that that, that was the last season I think Huddersfield played at Leeds Road. And I, I was sort of thinking about how York City might you know, be in, in this sort of situation. What, what's it like for a player with a new stadium on the horizon? You don't want to leave Leeds Road. The, the playing surface was beautiful. The sounds, you know, when that place had 10, 15,000 people in it was... Even it had 8,000 people and it sounded noisy. It felt like a traditional stadium, much like cities. And, and part of you just wants to play there forever. But then when you see the new one going up, you're looking and thinking, well, I want to be here. I want to be here when we move there because that looks exciting. I mean, it was. It was massively exciting. I, if I was a York City player right now, I'd be loving my time at Booth and Crescent and, and all the memories it holds. But I'd be thinking, I want to be here. I want to be here when we get to that new stadium because things can, it, hopefully, it'll have a really positive effect. It, can give you that spur that's something else I don't know what it is but gives you that extra little bounce about you something to look forward to so yeah if I was a City player now I'd be I'd be trying my absolute damnedest to get a contract for next season I mean, so speaking of Booth and Crescent, I, I remember one of, one of the only times I've ever seen you play was for Huddersfield at York City. I think it was 94, 95 season and a firework went off, didn't it? Re- really close to you. I think York City had a, had a fantastic result that day. It was 3-0, but it just tells about your memories of that because it was a surreal sort of event, really. What happened was, it flew, I remember it flying past my ear and it went off as it went past my ear and landed just in, sort of just in front of me. But the bang went off. You don't expect it. It was more shock than, it didn't hurt me. I didn't get hurt. But the shock was, I can't even explain it. It was, what what the heck just happened? <laughs> so yeah, it was it was surreal. I think the lad who threw it got a, a bit of a telling off from fellow town fans because it was me that went down, but he should, they should never have done it. They could have seriously injured any one of the players at that time. Yeah, just one of them. Again, that was a moment I remember, but not too fondly, to be honest. My ear, ear was ringing for 20, 10 minutes after that. And, and you mentioned, uh, speaking of ears ringing, you mentioned Neil Warnock earlier. What, I've seen some of the videos from sort of him managing Huddersfield and Sheffield United. How realistic was that? Because I know obviously the cameras are there, but is that is that what he's 
he's like, I mean, he's yeah. sort of like, almost like the calm before the storm, he'd have a little cup of tea, wouldn't he? And then all of a sudden just absolutely, I think on one of them, it looked like Andy Booth was about to cry. I think on one of, you know, a big <laughs> bustling centre yeah. forward. And it, but I yeah. can imagine what that would be like being on the end of one of his, yeah. one of his tellings off. Well, I was lucky I was never on the end of one, but he always used me as his dummy. I'd have to stand up and he'd use me as the, as the opposing attacker. I, I, he liked me, I think. He was brilliant for me. He managed me well. He knew what to do with me. And he was just a, just a really good guy. I think he snaps with intention. He isn't loose. He's not losing his head. He's in control of what he's giving us the impression that he's snapping to get a reaction from the players. That's why he's had so much success. He knows what to do and when to do it. He knows who to rollock and he knows the arm around the shoulder typical old school sort of style management but it's man management and and he knew what to do with who i never got told off by neil warnock i, I don't know why but i he probably knew i couldn't really take it you know i'd, I'd be one of them that shrink rather than stand up whereas darren bullock he could scream at, at darren bullock and you knew bully would react i mean he's probably gonna get sent off in the second half you knew he, he, that's probably what warnock wanted he wanted a reaction with me, it wasn't that. It was, hey, you're coming on now, don't you? Go and change the game. He was just a clever football guy. He knows what he's doing. He knows when to do it. So, yeah, I feel kind of privileged to have played under him, really. And his snaps, for me, were, were clever. They were useful rather than he's just lost his head. But that's what he was like. Yeah, and you mentioned him in bringing you on and probably the probably most pinnacle one for, for Huddersfield was that final against Bristol Rovers who I think were managed by John Ward at the time if I remember right in front of 60,000 you, you come on the chant starts doesn't it from the Huddersfield fans about getting you on you come on and within 60 seconds I think you played a key part in the equaliser Unbelievable um, unbelievable. I, I was warming up most of the game when the fans were singing the song and then as I was getting my, my tracksuit off here there's a bit of excitement in the crowd because I was just one of them things that when I came on things seemed to happen I'm, I'm not trying to sound big headed it just it was one of them seasons where one used me right. Yeah, I remember just stretching off. The numbers came up, and if you, I actually look back at it now on the video, and you can just hear in the in the distance the fading sort of the song coming on, and, and me running onto the pit. And within yeah, within sixty seconds, the crowd was was singing the song. It, it got round then to the thirty thousand town fans, thirty five thousand town fans, all singing the song. When the ball landed at my feet, just dropped my shoulder, and, and you knew if you put the ball in in a good area that Boothie would probably have a good chance of winning the header. And uh, yeah, as as it, as it happened, he headed it back across, and Chris Billy won us the game. Yeah, it was just brilliant moment. Neil Warnock left, I think, the next, the following day, didn't he, to go to Plymouth? Yeah. And it almost seems to coincide with, with your time at Huddersfield, not maybe gone on a downward spiral, because the next two yeah. seasons under Brian Hall, and I, I don't know whether you were injured, but, but you only made six starts, I think, in the next two years. What happened there? Real shame for me, really. He tried to take me to Plymouth, but I was under, I was under contract, and he wasn't going to pay for me, I don't think. I don't think Plymouth would have paid for me that time. But then... He, when he left, we're all gutted because he would have took us into the championship. He'd have brought a couple of players in. We'd have all a good, had a good chance. I, I felt like one of his boys had a played or had a good chance. Brian Horton came in. He had the riches of promotion and he spent that money and he bought attacking players and they had to play. They, it was quite it was as simple as that. They had to play. They were on the big money. They'd cost him money. They were his signings. He came in and changed things around and I wasn't really in his plans. Although, I actually think he quite liked me as well. I was made captain of the reserves when, when I was in the reserves. I, I was substitute a few times. I never, again, it felt like I'd taken a step back when Warnock left. I, I felt... Oh, I'm looking around thinking, well, I'm not going to get a game here. There's three new strikers. You know, Paul Dalton came in. 
Andy Payton came in. Marcus Stewart came in. Andy Payton was the one because he didn't need Andy Payton. I could have been his Andy Payton. Andy Payton was at the end of his career. He signed him, hardly played him, I don't think, because Marcus Stewart and Boothie and were, were playing. He got rid of Ronnie Jepson, who was good in the changing room, Ronnie. And I did get an injury. I got an injury in pre-season, which didn't help. Maybe the season after. Something at the time which no one really was aware of. It's something called plantar fasciitis. And it's the base of your foot. And it's a muscle you can't do anything about. Or you, at the time, you couldn't. It was just weird. All things happened for a reason. But our physio at the time went ill. So I had five weeks of no physio. But I couldn't. I could hardly walk. My, my foot was there was something drastically wrong with the foot. They came up with this. Tried heels. They tried footbeds. Everything. And it just didn't heal. Sadly, our physio died. Dave Wilson. He went really ill and died. But yeah, I, I spent five weeks without any sort of treatment, really, other than go to the swimming pool and have a swim. So yeah, just things happen for a reason. Did that? That probably knocked me a bit as well. Yeah, after that, I really struggled to get any luck in. Even even the reserves, I felt as if I was being fitted in. So I knew my time was up. I knew my time was up. They, they put me out on trial. I'm loaned to Scunthorpe. The injury was still there. I could hardly run, and I came back and then sort of potted about. Eventually, it was do nothing. So I did nothing five or six weeks, and the foot healed itself. Weirdly. Because you ended up at Chesterfield, back at Chesterfield, didn't you? That was the year that they had the uh, really good cup run, wasn't it? And that's probably why I signed, to be brutally honest, is why I probably why I signed to them. Looking back again, I didn't have an agent. I phoned the PFA up to get some help going and sign the contract out, and I didn't get much assistance. I went down myself, spoke with the chairman. They were desperate to sign me, promised me this, that, and the other. I got a decent contract out, you know, I got two and a half years contract. But in hindsight, it was the FA Cup run that really sold it to me because I was thinking, you'll be in the team for the quarterfinal against Wrexham which was the week later or something so I signed I just I, I, looking back and do you know what Chesterfield fans to me were really good the fans again I seem to be lucky that they took to me they were really supportive but I, I, I was the wrong player for that team at that time they were a lot of them were six foot fit as fiddles strong hard to beat and I, I wasn't that player so yeah it was a, it was just didn't quite work out for me at Chesterfield that second time but I got to play in the FA Cup quarterfinal and nearly made an appearance in the semi-final. Yeah, because you, you, over your career, cup goals was, was sort of your yeah. thing, weren't they, really? I mean, getting the you got the golden goal, didn't you, for, for Huddersfield yeah. against... Lincoln City. But I mean, that, that Chesterfield team had Sean Dyche playing for him, didn't they? And, and Kevin Davis, yeah. who, like you said, both fit that build that you, that you were talking about. Your career after Chesterfield, and you, you, know, you were still relatively young as a footballer, weren't you? And you sort of drifted yeah. into the non-league. And did you have any regrets yeah. there that you didn't kind of get a contract for? I wondered whether there was ever a chance you might have ended up back at York yeah there was I went to train with York with Alan Little and he just didn't offer me a contract I think he had a look at me to be brutally honest I went to play for Gainsborough I was what was I 28, 29 I could have gone to um, it was Gary Parkinson manager he was down south it was a year's contract and I was 29 I was thinking I don't want to be that lad who's literally scraping a living just taking a contract wherever would have me so I made a conscious decision to try and actually get a job I studied whilst playing football I'd done a few courses and uh, yeah my, my mind at 29 I was kind of broken a bit by the, the whole Chesterfield experience and I wanted to enjoy my football again I got the chance of getting a job and I played, for, played at Gainsborough financially it was quite good to be playing for Gainsborough and to have a job. I felt as if I was settling down into a normal life. My football career was, I was at the end of it for me. I know it seems young. A lot of us have gone, gone into the 30s. For me, it was, it was kind of young, but I felt like I was still, I was actually playing and enjoying it at Gainsborough and then Harrogate and Geisley. So I was still earning whilst playing for them. 
but I also had a job, so I was I was actually preparing myself for proper life. Just wondered how difficult that might have been. From you know, it's not when you look at it, it's not that long ago since you've come on at Wembley in front of sixty thousand people chanting your name, and then yeah. you know, three years down the line, you, you're playing in front of a lot less people. But but you sound like you you were quite sort of rounded about that that situation, and and you you know settled with with your decision. Yeah, I was comfortable with it. I wasn't like I say, I could have gone for a year. It was I can't remember down south. I can't remember. I can't believe I can't remember. But yeah, I could have had a year. But yeah, I, did, I, did, I think A, I was a little bit beaten with the Chesterfield experience. B, I knew that at 30, the only way is once you've been released, you're on your downward spiral. And yeah, it was, it was a decision that I thought, well, I'm going to enjoy my football while I can. And I'm preparing now for a proper life, a proper proper work life. Never, ever going to earn enough to, to retire on, on football money. It was real life for me. And the quicker that came, I think the better. As it's turned out, and, and touch wood, again, with hindsight, it was the right decision at the time because of the way things have turned out for me. And, and just sort of bringing it to, to sort of modern day, really, you got involved with, with Radio York doing punditry. How, how did that come about? Because I, I vaguely remember, I don't know if this was your first game, but I think the first time I ever heard you was South Shields away in the FA Cup. And yes. I remember I, I tuned in sort of halfway through and I, I didn't know who it was. And I just remember yeah. you being so excited and, and kind of, yeah. I, I thought, wow, well, <laughs> he's sort of like a fan, was, like a fan on with, with the Dave yeah. Ward for the game. And then I, then I sort of realised who you were and, you kind of bring that sort of freshness to it, don't you? And, and that kind of, and obviously I can tell now from interviewing you that how passionate you are about York City from growing up. Was that your first game? Yeah, that was an experience. We were, yeah, I, I, how did it come about? I think I'd, I'd maybe done something with Radio Leeds and Sharon Shortle had got in touch and said, would you fancy coming and doing the odd game? And of course, you know, I, I was thinking, well, yeah, this is brilliant. Get to watch City and commentate on it as, you know, a boy's own. It's brilliant. So, uh, so yeah, I went to South Shields and, whoa, it was, it was up a, a stand, you know, <laughs> a scaffolding. It was, I think we had all four seasons in one day. But I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And, you know, you get that. I, I get to see the games and, and David's brilliant. Held my hands. Always, I still does. So I'm still, still, as you know, still learning. Try not to get too excited when, when things come off. I can't help that, I'm afraid. But, but yeah, I, I really enjoy it. And like I say, it's a really good team. Sharon and, and, and David and, and the Radio York team have, uh, have welcomed me really well, to be honest. And yeah, they've let me uh, let me get a lot of experience in it. I mean, that, that South Shields game, like you say, it was a real rollercoaster, wasn't it? I think that was Gary Mills's last game as well. I think he was sacked shortly after after yeah. full time. But you've also done some some with Huddersfield as well. How was that sort of going back to Huddersfield? as a pundit is yeah. that get the best of both worlds that you were York City and Huddersfield I'm getting the best of both worlds yeah because I'm, obviously I'm a York fan but by virtue of playing for Huddersfield and being taken in by them you become a Huddersfield fan so I want them to do well as well yeah when you do, when you do the, the Radio Leeds one it, it's it's a different scale of football clearly because they were in you know they were in the Premier League last season my first game was it was Southampton away on December the 23rd. I think someone had pulled out of that one. So that was my first game for Huddersfield. And, and they said, listen, you've done re- really well. We enjoyed your company. Paul Ogden, brilliant guy. Jamie Rayner at Radio Leeds, really nice people again. And uh, yeah, they just said, listen, whenever there's a slot, we'll ask if, if you're free, we'd like you to come and do it. So again, I get the best of both worlds. I get to see the games. And weirdly, the year, the year after, I got the call from Paul Ogden saying, listen, Matt Glennon can't do it. Are you available? Chris was doing the City game. And so David was happy with me doing it. He said, listen, it's on Boxing Day. He said, do you want the good news or the bad news? I said, oh, crikey, where is it? Well, it's on Boxing Day and immediately I'm thinking, oh, God, this is this could be anywhere. And uh, he says, the good news, it's Manchester United away. I went along and, what I mean, what an experience that was. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just lucky. It's just, yeah, just quite, quite lucky to get these opportunities and, and hopefully I do a decent enough job that they, they keep asking me back and 
I can enjoy it. Absolute pleasure speaking to you. Really interesting about your career and appreciate your, your insights. That's a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Enjoyed it. So special thanks to Ian Dunn there for giving up his time. It was interesting interview because it was a kind of a time frame that I'd not really covered before. You know, it was interesting to hear his, his thoughts on a time that it wasn't so successful for York City. So thanks again for him for uh, for doing that. Also thank you to Haley Owen, funeral director on Burbage Road, for agreeing to sponsor the episode. Again, if you're a local business or indeed just to support and you want to sponsor an episode, please do get in touch. Either sort of speak to me through Twitter or um, or Facebook. We've got an account on there now. Or, or just the email address is outside dot broadcast at yourhospitalradio.com uh, next week's episode we've got Scott Kerr which is obviously a lot more successful time frame for York City so uh, that, that's a really good episode for people to, to tune into next week and I should have the ticketing details for our first ever live event which I'm really excited about it's uh, a live event with Richard Brodie which is on Sunday the 8th of November Richard Brodie was, uh, has been our, our kind of most downloaded episode for a, for a player he said as soon as the interview had finished that he had so many more stories to tell and he'd love an opportunity to so with that in mind we've, we've sorted out a live event and like I say I'll have the uh, ticketing information for that next week but maybe put that in your diary Sunday the 8th of November it will be very limited tickets because of kind of the Covid situation social distancing but I'm quite confident it'll be a really successful evening and we'll raise a fair bit of money for charity so thanks again for listening and uh, see you next week